there, and welcome to Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm Jan M. Flynn, your host, and I have a confirmed habit of turning thinking into overthinking. What, like that's bad? Anyway, if you too sometimes find yourself getting overwhelmed by the voices in your head, I invite you to take a brief break by listening to the ones in mine. A couple of things before we dive into this week's topic. One is that the newest Chicken Soup for the Soul edition, Lessons Learned from My Dog, goes on sale in bookstores and online retailers on January 24th, and two of my stories appear in it. I've read through the whole volume, naturally, and I can tell you it's full of heartwarming, heart strings tugging, and often very funny short pieces. If you or anyone you know loves dogs, and that describes most people I know, this is a must-read. It'd make a great midwinter pick-me-up. That's Chicken Soup for the Soul, Lessons Learned from My Dog, going on sale January 24th. And if you happen to be in Idaho, I'll be doing a book signing on Thursday, January 26th at Rediscovered Books in downtown Boise from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. I'll also be signing books on Saturday, January 28th at the Rediscovered Books in Caldwell from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. If you're in the area, please stop by. I am always interested in hearing from you, what you think about this blogcast, or what you're thinking about in general these days that you'd like to have overthought by yours truly on an upcoming episode. It's easy to reach out to me, and you don't have to commit yourself to being on an email list. And I will never share your email address, I double pinky swear. Email me at heresathought8 at gmail.com, contact me via my website at janmflynn.net, or DM me on Twitter at janmflynnauthor, and you'll find those links in the episode description. So we are now in mid-January. 2023 is still in its early days, but it's had two good weeks to have its way with us. The winter days are a little drab and gloomy where I live, and the twinkly lights are disappearing from streets and shops and houses. Some of the shine may be starting to wear off of the resolutions and the fresh start energy. And friends, I'm not going to lie. I've already hit an obstacle, or at least a bump in the road. It has thrown me for a bit of a loop. Allow me to explain. Maybe something like this has happened to you, or you can relate to what I'm going through. As you probably know, I identify as a writer. And you know what they say about writers. They're like spiders. No matter where you are in the world, you're never more than six feet away from one. There are a lot of popular tropes about writers, like we're reclusive, tortured introverts who drink too much, or we live in cabins at the tops of mountains, devoting all our energy to insightful, sensitive masterpieces while our dogs and family members languish. Or we zip around in limousines going to book tours and interviews while collecting dazzling royalty checks. I personally don't know any writers to whom any of that applies. But there's one thing that all writers who have ever been published, or who have tried to get published by a paying outlet, have in common. Rejection. We get rejected. A lot. Veteran writers warn newbie writers about this all the time. Stephen King talks about this in his book On Writing, and he says he pinned every rejection letter he received to his wall with a nail. By the time I was 14, he continues, the nail in my wall would no longer support the weight of the rejection slips impaled upon it. I replaced the nail with a spike and went on writing. 
Neil Gaiman, one of my very most favorite authors on the planet, says in his masterclass on writing, you're going to get rejected. And the point is to learn how to not take rejection personally and to bounce back from it. And really, that applies to everybody, not just writers. At some point in life, we're all going to get a big no instead of the yes we were really hoping for. And usually when it comes to writing rejections, I'm pretty good at taking them. I understand that a story I've written might be perfectly lovely, but it's not right for a particular publication at a particular time. In which case, it's not me, it's them. Of course, sometimes my work isn't as ready as I thought it was, and it needs more work. But if I keep trying, eventually my best work will find a home. And that's what most writers I know really want, a home for their work, a place where readers who will enjoy it or appreciate it or argue with it can find it. And after all, unless you're just writing for yourself in a journal, which is a terrific thing to do, don't get me wrong, I do a lot of it, the whole point is to share your writing with readers. And that means... You're asking for someone's time and attention. Honestly, sometimes I wish I were a painter or sculptor or could even crochet decently. It would be nice if what I made could perch on a wall or sit on a table or hang over the back of a couch for folks to enjoy in passing. Anyway, the point is, I'm no stranger to rejection. I get enough acceptances to keep me going. As writers are fond of saying, it only takes one yes. Most of the time... I just put another notch in my belt and keep going without losing any steam. But I'm not bulletproof. And maybe something like this has happened to you, whether you're a writer or not. Something comes along that to outside viewers might not seem so earth-shattering, but to you really seems to shake your foundations. This week, I got a rejection that really stung. And I mean, ouch. I don't blame the editor. Those people have manuscripts coming at them like water through a fire hose. But for a variety of perfect storm reasons, this turned down hit me hard. Like, not only was my work unwanted by this particular publisher, but that it's somehow the wrong work for the market. And I'm the wrong writer for the market. Any market. Which doesn't really make sense, I know. I know better. But once I started down that line of thinking, it led me straight into a poisonous, bubbling swamp of self-doubt. I couldn't wait until I had enough time to devote to writing, and now that I do, it turns out that I suck at it. And if I'm not a writer, then what is the point of me? Let's just say I wasn't being my own best friend. For an ugly minute there, I allowed that one brief rejection letter, written by a complete stranger, who knows zero about me, other than my manuscript is not one that they wish to invest in, to act like a negative performance review of, like, my life. For real, people, based on that two-sentence rejection, I began to question the purpose of my existence. What's it all about, Alfie? Is that all there is? Wah, wah, wah. Well, you want to know what pulled me out of it? Marigolds. Not a literal bunch of marigolds. They're not in season right now anyway, at least not here in Idaho. But the lesson that a bed of marigolds once taught me. And like most big life lessons, this is one I tend to forget until I really need it. 
So here's the story. Many years ago, I was a passenger in a car stuck in traffic on a freeway in a region of Southern California hardly known for its scenery. Bored, I stared dully at the display in front of a roadside nursery. On a sloping berm, a bed of marigolds were planted in such a way that they spelled out the nursery's name in bright orange blooms. The car was moving so slowly, I had ample time to zoom in and out. I could read the marigold's message, then look at the flowers themselves in their individual clumps. Some were thriving, others straggled, but they all had their place in the pattern. Each of those individual flowers on that sun-scorched berm by the side of a freeway were no doubt very taken up with the business of being a marigold plant. I'm sure if you'd asked them, they'd say they were very busy. Their roots were searching for water and minerals. Their leaves and blossoms were seeking sunlight and oxygen. And then there were all those pests they had to repel if they didn't want their blossoms munched on. At least some of those marigolds probably wondered what all the struggle was for. And yet none of them were in a position to see that they were planted precisely as they were for a reason. They were part of a larger purpose. In this case, a roadside nursery sign, but it was one whose nature they could not possibly comprehend, but to which they were absolutely necessary. It came to me then, in the way that deep realizations do, so much harder to articulate and convey than the experience itself, what if we're all like those marigolds? It was a humbling, yet deeply comforting observation. There's a lot of symbolism attached to marigolds, like many flowers. One that I found especially resonant comes from Hinduism. Marigolds are offered as a symbol of surrender to the divine. They symbolize trust and a willingness to overcome obstacles. Kind of perfect, really. Anyway, remembering those marigolds cleared my head and reminded me that my purpose is not my problem. Maybe sometimes I think I know what it is, but I could be wrong. I'm not really in a position to understand it. Worrying about our purpose in life is just another way our egos try to grab the steering wheel on our consciousness. You can tell it's happening by how anxious and unhappy it makes you feel. It's very different from finding meaning in any particular activity or non-activity. Watch any little kid totally absorbed in building a block tower or making a mud pie. Or catch yourself when you're in a state of flow or contentment. In those moments, there's no fretting about purpose, and there's certainly no fixation on outside judgment. By all means, I'll keep making plans and working on projects and writing and doing all I can to make the most of the precious time I have here on Earth. But fretting about purpose is, honestly, above my pay grade. I'm way better off when I simply trust that I have a purpose and that I'm already in its service. You and I may never know what exactly it is we're part of, but we are part of something. Maybe it's just an intergalactic road sign, or something really wondrous. I want to share with you a quote I've seen credited to Albert Einstein and also to filmmaker Francois Truffaut. Who knows? Maybe it was both of them. Great minds think alike. Whoever said it, it remains one of my very most favorite thoughts. Life has more imagination than we do. Take a walk in the woods, or even around the block, and if you're paying any attention at all, nature will prove the truth of that statement. 
I, for one, feel a lot better when I remember that I'm just one of the marigolds. All I have to do is remember to turn my face to the sun and bloom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us build our audience by leaving a star rating or a review. Remember, I'm always looking for suggestions and input from listeners. You'll find links in the episode description for easy ways to contact me without getting put on a list. So until next time, wherever you are planted for the moment or for the years, may you bloom and thrive. And may all your thoughts be good ones. <laughs>